0: Hi, my name is Michelle Ola. I want to thank you and welcome you to another episode of the Language Lounge. In today's episode, I continue the conversation about minimalism in teaching, and I talk with Thomas Sauer about how we can declutter some of our curriculum and instruction. In other words, what we teach and how we teach it. If you don't know Thomas, he has a long and very impressive resume in world language teaching and leadership. And I will definitely put a link to his bio in the show notes. But to me, the most important word that describes Thomas is that he is a disruptor. And I mean that in the absolute best meaning of the word. Disruptors see the world differently than most people. They know that to create something new, they must see things as they should be, rather than simply as they are. Disruptors ask tough questions and question past practices in order to push us forward. In my professional journey, Thomas has been that person to me for a long time, way before I actually met him. And through his work, uh, through his curriculum work with Jefferson County, his involvement in the TEL project and TEL Colab, the work he's doing now at Pearl... Following his tweets and more, interactions with Thomas sometimes leave me slightly uncomfortable and questioning what I am doing. And that is a good thing. That is how I have grown as a teacher, as a facilitator of professional learning, and as a person. Thank you for taking time to listen to our conversation today. And I hope that something in it disrupts you a little bit. And disrupts your current thinking and challenges you to explore not what teaching and learning languages is right now, but what it could be for our students and for us in the future. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of The Language Lounge. And I am Michelle Ola. And today I have Thomas Sauer with me. And I just have to say, I am very excited to continue the conversation I've been having with other teachers and educators uh, and and professionals about uh, being a minimalist teacher. Now, that's kind of the big framework, but what in particular we're going to talk about today is looking at our curriculum and our instructional strategies um, in particular, and really think intentionally about how we can reduce, declutter, minimize some of the extra that causes stress, additional work, harms well-being, and really does not necessarily contribute at all to student learning, which is, of course, our, our end goal. And when I was thinking about somebody to talk to about this, honestly, Thomas Sauer just was the first person that came to my mind as the person I really wanted to talk to. And one of the reasons for that, Thomas, I don't know if you know this, but in my mind, you are the speak truth to power person. Like, I just feel like you are the one that will ask those questions, right? And really, you know, not let people off the hook, but in a very kind and professional way, but ask those tough questions that we need to ask ourselves in order to facilitate change, right, and to, in order to keep, you know, focusing on what's important. So I really am so happy to have you here talking to me about this. Um, and not everybody might not know you now. I find that hard to believe, but it's possible, right? So why don't you go ahead and would you mind just introducing yourself a little bit, talking, what are your experiences, what is your current context of um, what you're doing, and just why is this important to you?
1: Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Um, love the podcast, of course. And uh, yeah, so my name is Thomas Sauer, and I um, I often introduce myself as a recovering administrator. <laughs> I love that. In a former life, I uh, I was an administrator um, for two large school districts in Kentucky. One was Jefferson County Public Schools, and was Fayette County Public Schools. Um, and another form of life, I was a German teacher, taught on on television and the internet before there was Zoom and video conferencing and things like that. Um, actually, we, I started there before, not before there was the internet, but before we used the internet for anything educational. Great. Right. Um, and um, then I was a consultant for uh a number of years and i worked with school districts and universities and organizations all around the country on all kinds of things curriculum instruction assessment um and often asking those hard questions um Mm -hmm. i was usually the first one to come in to ask the hard questions and then they brought somebody else in to help them find the answers which is fine (laughs) um and now i uh for the last five years now um i have been at the uh, national foreign language center at the university of maryland and uh, my, my real project there is the um, uh, it's called PEARL, which stands for Professional Educators Advancing Research and Language Learning, and we are a Title VI Language Resource Center, and we're focusing on professional development, um, trying to find the answer to what will cause teachers to change their behaviors. So it's very appropriate that we're talking about that thing, because you want to take a minimalist approach, it's going to require changing some behaviors. And then the other reason Excellent. why I love this topic is because I used to ask that question to teachers all the time. You know, at the end of a session, when people say, What's the one thing you're going to change on Monday? I don't ask that question. Uh-huh. My last question usually is, What is the one thing you're going to stop doing because of your learning today? And that's usually really hard for teachers to, to recognize, like, What are you going to? stop doing because we always add something right you go to a conference you go i'm gonna do this too and you're gonna go and now you can just watch youtube video like i'm gonna do this too and then your principal comes and wants you to do something like oh i'm gonna have to do that too and so just we just keep adding to the plate and we never take anything away and so i think just pausing for a second okay so whatever learning you just did what are you going to stop doing because of that? Because ideally you've learned something that caused you to question your existing practices. It's not just about finding new practices and adding to your repertoire, but really thinking about, you know, is it effective? And we don't do that very often in education, if ever.
0: No, we do not. <laughs> I mean, I, right. Absolutely. In, in life in general, we keep adding stuff. Right. And and we have this constant, desire to, we think improving just means more, right? Or harder or we work longer or whatever. And I think that is what really has been the most impactful with me thinking about kind of this minimalist approach again. Now, a lot of the things we're going to talk about with curriculum, I've thought for a long time, but I think this is another layer, another framework to kind of think about it through. Um, And I love that, that, you know, when, when we add things to our plate, it always comes at a cost and we don't always recognize that, right? Um, we don't always realize that, yeah, if you're just adding and adding and adding, then something's either getting diluted or it's there and it doesn't need to be there. And I think that's kind of what we're going to, you know, dig into a little bit more today too. So uh, so let's start with curriculum and talking about yeah. curriculum a little bit. And one of the other things I love that you do, and I think that I don't do it enough, honestly, is Is talking about making language that we use in education accessible too, because we say curriculum, but, and we just assume everyone knows what curriculum is or learning objectives or, you know, paths or whatever the terms we use. And sometimes we just need to stop and say, okay, let's say, what is the, what is curriculum? So what would you say, like, what is curriculum when we say that word, like, let's declutter our curriculum? What do you mean by that?
1: Uh, that's a good question uh, I, and, I, and it's a question I often ask teachers too when I work with them on a curriculum. It's usually one of the first activities that we do to have them come up with definition of what they want that curriculum to be because you're right it's for the district it means one thing and it's often mm-hmm. just you know compliance, the piece of paper, the the thing we can all follow but for teachers it often means something completely different. So yeah. I think um, if in, in my fantasy world, you know, <laughs> where it's actually about learning. That's what we're talking things, about. Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's a learning roadmap. Um, and um, and it, yeah, so that's what it is. It's a learning roadmap that kind of, you know, it, it's not one that you have to stick to either because nobody ever sticks to the map either. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly, it's 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 a map to get you somewhere, a destination, ideally, you know, in our case, destination of a certain level of proficiency. Um, and okay. just like any other good roadmap, you have many ways of getting there. And I think that's probably the first problem. Most curricula just have one way of getting there, right? You must go from A to B to get the result. So...
0: I love that. That is that is. I love the simplest, and yet it it can it has a lot of stuff to that, right? Being a roadmap, like you said, it's got a lot of layers to it. Um, but that's that's exactly what I would say as well. And so, when you have your roadmap, you know the first thing, like you just you just mentioned something that I, again, I don't know that all teachers think about this. I don't know when I was in the classroom, how deeply and intentionally I thought about it. And that is like, what is that end destination, right? We have to know where we're going with that sort of roadmap. And then there's, like you said, there's lots of different ways to go there. Um, So in your experience, what are some things working with teachers and districts, what are some challenges, challenges that you see with curriculum? One, you mentioned, like they tend to think that there's one textbook, one path, one, you know, one way of doing it. So that might be one challenge. Are there other challenges that you see with um, with curriculum that you have you've
1: noticed? Oh, well, I mean, there's the infighting amongst languages often, right? People mm-hmm. think I can only do this in my language or oh, I can't do this in my language because my language is special. So in most of the districts mm-hmm. that I worked in, we try to write language agnostic curriculum that can transfer to all of them, which also comes mm-hmm. with this downside that I'm not saying it's the answer, but it, it helps. So I think that's, mm-hmm. uh, that happens a lot. Um, the other one is that, in my mind, it doesn't go deep enough. So there's many districts who will write curriculum and then give it to the teachers yep. and they're like, okay, now what? and it mm-hmm. it's not even that the curriculum is bad it's just it doesn't help me on monday mm-hmm. you know it, it might be real good it might have great outcomes um but it doesn't help me on monday mm-hmm. and that's what a teacher needs right they have 175 275 kids coming in that they're now responsible for and if it doesn't give me that that bridge then i can then it's not really a useful document i think that's what happens so so often right? It used to be it was just it was sitting on your shelf um, in in a binder. Now it's sitting mm-hmm. in your Google Drive, and you don't access it anymore. But it's not, you know, so many curricula have that beautiful sentence in the front. This is a living and breathing document. But yet we're finishing it by August fifteenth, and then we're never looking at right. it. Right. So it's, it's it's so it's already false statement saying because if it was a living, breathing document, we'd be using it, we'd be editing it constantly. So Mm -hmm. what I've been trying to get teachers to understand or districts to understand is you need like a bridge document almost. How do you take it from these big picture outcomes, these assessments, and take it to the next level? Because I think that's the challenging part for teachers to decide, okay, if we have our big goal, what are the little micro steps that I have to take as a teacher to get my kids along that roadway to meet that big goal? And so I think often they don't go deep enough. They may go deep enough in the technical details it doesn't go, maybe it's a long word, deep enough, low enough. I don't know, I don't know which way you are going, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't yeah. impact. In my mind, it doesn't impact far enough to actually plan a lesson from. And so often teachers have to still do the hard work of unpacking. And that is really hard work. And that is hard work you mm-hmm. cannot do on Sunday afternoon. Because that requires right. you to look at the whole unit. It requires you to really plan. And so that's when curriculum get lost. That's when teachers get frustrated with the curriculum they have, even when it's good um because it's not a helpful tool it's just it's just a thing that they have to do but not really a helpful thing
0: yeah i i think you're absolutely right and i think that can lead to like you said that's deep work that's hard to unpack that's that takes a lot of time and and mental energy and every teacher kind of if they do that it has a different approach so you know kind of to do that i think and then if you don't do that, though, if you don't do that hard work, I think you can fall into, um, you know, I know in Matai and Willis in their unpacking grading, I think it was called, or I'm trying to think of the name of the book I just read, um, but they talked about like the twin uh, evils of of um, coverage, you know, or activity oriented only sort of instruction, right? And I think what you yep. just mentioned, if it if the curriculum doesn't go deep, sometimes it goes too far, like sometimes it's length and not, you know, breadth and not depth and then, which causes issues. And then I think the other time, like you said, if you don't, if it doesn't go deep enough that that document or that planning or that support, then we might just find ourselves going from activity to activity to activity to activity, which again, like you mentioned, just doesn't get us to that deep learning. Do you see that those two things, how do you see those two things that, Coverage issue (laughs) Um, and then just that um, activity oriented sort of planning. Do you see those as challenges with teachers and how do you help teachers with those two things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the coverage ideas means that if I've taught it, you will have learned it, right? Um, (laughs) Yes. Which we know is not true. Um, And then because of the curriculum or because of some other schedule I'm beholden to, I now must move on, no matter if you have learned it or not, which in no other skill area you would do, right? There's no, you you can't, like, if you're learning a music instrument, if you cannot play that note, you will not be playing that song. It's just, like, you don't, you just don't go on, um, just because next month and now we have to learn the new song, or, but for some reason, you know, and this is where we forget sometimes that we're not a content area, and I think you know that's the mm-hmm. other problem and review the curriculum as the content of the class then that's what then you're talking about coverage and then about activities yeah i mean that's the thing again if it doesn't go deep enough then what am i supposed to do then i, I have to i still have to fill my 40 minutes my 70 minutes my 90 minutes class so i've got to do something with those kids. so i'm going to rely on my activities that are hopefully f- at least framed in the content that the curriculum <laughs> describes and hopefully mm-hmm. if i do enough of those activities the kids will learn it enough so that I can make it through the class and eventually through the month and eventually through the whole school year.
0: Right. Which, which I think ties back to some of the things, you know, I talked with previous guests about with decluttering, because then we do have all these choices, right. And we're not making these choices in a, in a way that was, you know, in depth and and well thought out. We're making them in a panic mode almost, right. We're, we're like, what am I like, what am I doing on Monday? What am I doing on Tuesday? What am I doing on Wednesday? And, and I think that leads to a lot of time waste that teachers can kind of do, an emotional sort of waste. It's very stressful. And, you know, how can we get beyond that? So how can, um, let's say your your, your district, your, your school or your department, because we all don't have, all language teachers don't even have district people or, you know, state people, that, you know, or, or people helping to guide them. So let's say you are, Um, in this position where you don't have either a curriculum or a deep well-sought curriculum like how can you break it down and really help teachers get to the most meaningful sort of points what what are your ideas like what do you suggest to teachers I mean obviously it's a very deep process to make a curriculum um, but what are some like basics like that you would have people start with have students have teachers start with just to get more intentional with what they're they're planning
1: figure out what you want your students be able to do with the language at the end of a predetermined amount of time, a week, a month, six weeks, a semester, and then figure out what are the, what, what's the, what are the language chunks that the students need to, to, to do that. And, and it's as simple as that. It sounds really- It is I mean, really, it sounds right? It simple, but it really is simple. But that's the thing, right? Simple is really hard. Yes, And so I, I think, yes. you know, it's, it's, remember talking about some people might hear like, oh, curriculum is too complicated, too deep or, or, or too convoluted. Like, it's not a criticism. It's almost like, yeah, it is because that's what we do in education. It's hard to make things simple um, because it means you have to be really intentional. You can only do those things that you are, you know, that's really difficult. Um, I think that's, that's at the core of minimalism. It's not that if, if it was so easy, yeah. everybody would do it. Right. Um, right. But nobody wants to. Throw it's easier to, to like add stuff. A, yeah, it's much easier. So, yeah, yeah. it's easier you know, to go.
0: It's easier to go someplace, go to a conference, go to a session, go to someplace and, and find something to add than it is to look at what you already have and go, why do I do this? Like, what purpose does this serve and how am I, you know, does this lead to like those deeper questions are much more challenging, I think, to our yep you know, to us.
1: Because then you answer all the other questions that are usually like fighting points for departments or districts. Because we Mm -hmm. don't really have to argue over grammar. If we're defining Mm -hmm. what we want students to be able to do with the language and then identify those things that they need to be able to do it, it writes itself. There is no natural grammar timeline that a curriculum should follow. There's no natural vocabulary timeline that a curriculum needs to follow. it doesn't mean if you have one, it's wrong. It's just that's the mm-hmm. one you have. It's not right. It's wrong. That's just one you have. And so when you use that simple approach, I think you'll come up with another one that works for, for this particular set of kids. And I think that's okay. And then if you can figure out how you get your kids involved in that, even better. You know, in my dream world, if Absolutely. you ask the kids, okay, so I want you to be able to do this. What kind of vocabulary do you think we need in order to accomplish this particular task as opposed to giving them the pre-described you know, pre-described list that, that you have determined and that has a gazillion words on it that I don't even know because they don't matter to me. You know, why, why do I need to know um, how to say hose and blouse and those things because I don't mm-hmm. wear them, I don't buy them, I'm not interested in them. Why do I have to learn yeah. because they're on that list? Because they're in the curriculum. Um, but maybe I want to know how to say some other crazy language you know, some vocabulary that, that, that is on the list, but that really matters to me. And so I think that's where we go wrong where we tried it. And that's the problem of curriculum, right? It, it puts the kids into a box that they may not want to be in. Um, a few years ago, we had a, we had a unit in Jefferson County. It was all about entertainment. And it was very broad. Mm-hmm. You can talk about art, you can talk about sports. You can just anything the kids like to do that detains them. And I had this teacher call me and she said, Thomas, you will not believe this one kid didn't say a word in level one at all, never spoke. And then in level two, he wanted to learn all about, because, under this topic, about mixed martial arts. Because that was, you know, she said, I don't know any vocabulary of mixed martial arts, but I found all this stuff for him. And, and like, you wouldn't believe, he talked for 10 minutes on the on the on the interpersonal assessment. Why? Because it was interesting to him, you know. And so that's the other thing, kind to figure out mm-hmm. how, how to do that. That's when... That's why it's a learning roadmap, not a not a teaching, not not what I want to do, but what we want the kids to be able to do at the end.
0: Oh, absolutely, and I love I love that point because one of the things um, I talked about with the a previous guest was talking about your purpose. So our purpose is communication, intercultural competence, but then within that we have priorities, and you stated to me one of the most important priorities, and that is your students' needs and your students' interests, and so then if you set your purpose and you set those priorities, whether it's social justice and social emotional learning and, you know, your student interest differentiation, all of those things, things start to become clearer, I think. And then you can start to pare down all the other stuff, right? Because you're going to focus in on the most important things. Um, And I really think that you know, sometimes when it comes to curriculum, I'll be, I'll just use myself as examples. You know, I did a lot of stuff I liked, <laughs> you know, it was about me. It was kind of about me, you know, it was a lot about, you know, and if I was honest with myself, it, it you know, I needed to be more about. The, stu- the, the country you to be studied
1: Rodin,
0: the um, yeah, you know. yeah, and it's not bad. There's nothing no, the art not I bad. liked. The there's nothing wrong with that, but can we do better? And if our goal is to prioritize st- students and their interests and their learning and their motivation, and they are going to learn more when they care about it, you know, when they want to, you know, if they care about it, martial arts, then they're going to talk about it, right? They don't care about the student assembly or the dance or whatever, then you know. They're not going to retain that language, right? So and you can still I use that, that
1: stuff because you have passion yeah. about it, right? Like if you bring in your passion about what you like, that's fine. I think students love that, mm-hmm. and that might be the other problem of curriculum. If it's about things that you're actually not passionate about, you can't teach it either, right? If it's it's very true, yes. If it's the country you know nothing about and you've never been to, it makes it mm-hmm. difficult to use that as a jumping-off point. But
0: yeah, it's uh, not so. going to feel as authentic, right? I agree. Yeah, yeah, and so the other thing that um i wanted to ask you is so we were going to talk a little bit about so i I think that with curriculum i think that is you know getting down like you said in some ways it sounds simple like you determine your purpose what you want them to do and then everything that you do just aligns to that right (laughs) and and builds to that purpose easy to easy to say much harder to do right but that reflection and intention kind of comes in uh one of the other things is Talk about just, you know, like you were talking about, um, you have your curriculum, let's say it is built for depth, depth, and you still go in on Monday morning, and you have things to do. And the amount of choice of instructional strategies that are out there, and the amount of like, I should be doing this and cooperative learning and graduates and this and this and this and this and this. And And, and I think that can also be overwhelming. And we can, as teachers get, you know, chasing a lot of instructional sort of strategies as well. What are some things um, I like Angela Watson has a quote about doing fewer things better. And what would you say if, you know, about like the actual instruction in the classroom. What are some things that you would, some few things, some fewer things that you would say you would love to see teachers do better that really make an impact on learning?
1: So it's going to be a long answer and multi-angle. If you have Good. To <laughs> because I talk about that no. a lot in, in, in workshops. Good. So I want, all, that's why you're here. <laughs> I, I, I do think that I do think that for the most part, most teachers know how to teach, right? They know how to teach, they know how to select engaging strategies. They know how to do that. So then what's the problem? Well, one of the problem is because I go to class I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Kids are engaged. The problem is though, it's often not connected with our goals, right? So we do a great job of teaching, but then. Why are we doing this? Or oh, why are we doing it today and not tomorrow? Why? So getting the sequence right is, is a problem. So that, that's one thing. I just want to get that out of the way. I do think that teachers do know how to teach. It's just helping them to bring some focus. And the other thing is, we um, on one hand, we do too much. And on the other hand, we don't do enough. Let me explain. Mm-hmm. So we don't do enough in one sense that in most classes I go to, and even when I ask teachers to out themselves as to how many activities they do, most of them say, hmm three or four activities on a good day. And then it depends on the length of class, but it's rarely that I see more than four activities happening in any kind of language classroom. And that's not enough. Because if you really Mm -hmm. think about what we know about brain research, about how long a brain can pay attention for other kiddos, that's not enough. If you really think about the language proficiency that kids have, they can't talk that much, they can't write that much, they can't read that much. It's not enough activities. So in my mind, actually, we ought to have six, seven, eight, nine activities in a 45-minute class period. Now, teacher's going to like, Thomas, you are crazy. I'm not planning <laughs> nine activities for six periods a day. That's 54 activities times five days. That's 250 activities a week. Like, we'll get rid of the last teachers that we have left, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but I want you to think about... we don't have to constantly plan new activities i think that's where teachers go wrong they always want to find the coolest and newest activity instead of figuring out the ones that that work and we think that because the activity is engaging that that's why our kids will be engaged in all reality our content area provides probably the most engaging content area that there is right like the context itself of learning a language is incredibly engaging the cultural Mm -hmm context that we can provide is incredibly engaging the intercultural knowledge that kids are getting out of the class is incredibly engaging so the activities themselves i'm not saying you don't have to be engaging but there shouldn't be right. the purpose for the engagement and so what i hope that I, well, what i wish teachers would do they would find that all more time find your top 20 activities that you can do all the time um, because then Everything will go so much easier, right? We spend so much time explaining activities. Then it doesn't go right. right. Then we have to stop. Then we have to explain it again. That's why we can only right. do four things, because if you explain things five times. But if you take the same activities and do them over and over and over again, just in different contexts, you'll fix a lot of classroom management issues. Um, and you'll get to do mm-hmm. so much more with your students. Um, I worked with some teachers in a summer camp in, at the Harlem YMCA once, and I uh, what we had the teachers do there, we had them, you know, they taught the kids the activities and then we had an actual symbol, like an icon for the activity. And when the teachers shared the learning targets for the day, they also then added those icons, those symbols for those activities. So the kids knew immediately, oh, we're doing this game today or we're doing this activity today or we're doing this kind of reading today. Um, and it was, it was super easy. And then you didn't have to, then you weren't planning activities every day because that's what teachers do right they're constantly planning activities then they're really thinking about which activities will help me meet the goals for today the best because that's the question that we're not answering when we're so busy planning activities so it's you know so yes i want teachers to do more activities but more of the same and there's another reason it has nothing to do with language learning It has all to do just with teaching and learning and being a kid you're just one teacher you're just one teacher yes. so if you're in a high school context middle school context that teacher had that student every student has four five six other teachers now if four or five six other teachers also want their students to do let's just say five activities per day that means I as a learner now have to go and figure out 35 times what you want me to do yep and I once had the opportunity to do that. So I I shadowed high school students once for the whole day. I did everything that 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 student did, which was a terrible experience because (laughs) it was crazy how often we got yelled at and how often like got threatened by teachers over things. But I really learned, I mean, you just have whiplash because you want me to do what now? Mm -hmm. So I think, and that's where schools who have common strategies, even not just across languages, but even across content areas, because it's just mm-hmm. learning, in my mind, really mm-hmm. helping their students out. And that's what we forget. We think, well, I teach German, and here my 45 minutes, and I own them, and I'm going to make my kids, I'm going to make the most engaging class. Well, you know what? That kid just came out of history, where that teacher had that same attitude. And they also wanted to have the most engaging class with five activities. It's exhausting. Right. And not that I don't want the kids to be exhausted, but it's just... It should be about... a different
0: type of exhaustion, right? He... From from de- it should be the exhaustion of deep learning, not the exhaustion of exactly. trying to figure out what's going on, right? And trying to get the yeah. the game. And I I think you're right. Like I don't think we we realize that. Like that is some. I know when I had my son who is, is a, a teenager, and and I, oh, there's a couple things. Like one of the things is again like that constant new thing. Like you said, he's not just getting it in Spanish, French, German class, he's getting it in all of his classes, right? It um, also, like, I think about me being a teacher, and why did I do all of the variety? Was it really for the learner, or was it just because I was getting a little bit bored, and because I did the same thing, you know? all the time for years and years and six preps a day of the same thing. Um, So I feel like sometimes we lose sight of our purpose. I lost sight of like, Mm -hmm. what is this all about? (laughs) Because I was like trying to, you know, do the coolest newest thing on uh, that somebody posted on Twitter. And then I'm spending tons of my time trying to figure out how to do that and make that work for me. And then I explain it to my students. And, and I think about is that, that waste of time that I could have spent doing something else, perhaps planning something else, or, you know, or just taking care of myself and my family or whatever it might be. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I like that idea of and I, I totally agree, like the there are how let me ask you this, then let's say those 20 activities that you pick that you are going to pare down all of the things that you have. How do you know what those 20 activities should be? What would you say? How do you make the decision on what type of strategies you pick or mm. that you have that's, that the teachers and pick.
1: that will change too? There might be, you know, and there might be that the 20 for the first peer class might be different than the 20 for the second yes. peer class just because of who thank you for saying are. that.
0: Absolutely, because Absolutely. there are no,
1: there's not one set of top 20, and then it might change for next right. year again too, depending on and so on. I'm not saying you know pick twenty and never never deviate from that list. No, that that that's not right, what I mean. But right. I think just paring it down to the ones that you mm-hmm. that you know that your students respond to the best, and you can even ask them too. Did that help you? Mm-hmm. Which one of these activities that we did in this last unit actually help you speak better, write better, or understand better, or process the language better? Um, you know, ask them to to tell you because that's sometimes we think it works because the kids mm-hmm. have fun but it didn't help them learn. You know, maybe there's a song that we sing and we love that song because we've been singing it for 15 years and every class that I've had in 15 years loved that song. But in all reality, kids were like, yeah, it's fun, but it didn't actually help us learn anything. Then it's time. It's one of those moments where like, okay, I'm gonna stop singing that song.
0: I love that. I mean, because I think we are, we do get, we hear that word engagement so much that we we think engagement means fun and fun means learning. (laughs) And that may not, may or may not, you can have all of those things together, but it may or may not be the case, right? And if you ask students, did this help you learn? I think we get some interesting answers that we might not have thought, right?
1: Well, yeah. So, and then the other one is if you think of every activity as an assessment strategy, that will also determine which ones you can do. Because if, if you cannot yes. assess their learning at the end of any activity, it's probably not a good activity. It's probably not one that you want to use because then it's just busy work. It's just, um, you know, it's, it's drill, it's um, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can you you should be able to use every activity you use also as a check for learning. Um, if you can't, then I probably wouldn't do that activity anymore.
0: I love that. I love that strategy. That's a great way for teachers to really ask themselves, like, is this a meaningful activity that, you know, is probably building learning or not? Well,
1: it's what you said about your role. You said, you said yourself about what you thought your responsibility was. And I think that's the thing. Teachers mm-hmm. think their responsibility is to design these activities and walk the kids through. It's not. Yeah. Because in all reality, they can learn, at this point, they can learn language without you. And there's plenty of apps that will actually claim that they can do that. Here's what the thing that the apps can do, and what your really number one role is, is to provide the kids feedback on their learning, right? If you don't do activities that allow you to provide that feedback, then it's not a good activity. Um, and so that's where your role as a teacher does change from just the activity designer to some to, to be an assessor, right? That's what Laura Terrell always says: don't be an activity designer, yes. be an assessor. Um, because you can facilitate everything else with them, but what they can't get, what they really need from you the most is to help them see where their strengths are, how they can move on to the next level, what strategies they should do next, what you know, what, what input they need next. Um, that's what they need you for, and that should be your job, number one job as a teacher, and not figuring out, okay, how can I make them jump around today in class so they can understand this particular tense or this particular vocabulary?
0: Mm-hmm. That is so great. And that brings us to that, to another point. And, and that is that, that everything, like we said, every time you do something, it has a consequence, right? So if -hmm. you're spending your time searching and doing those activities and planning these, and again, we're not saying this is bad, but I just say, like, think about where you spend your time and your energy and your effort. And that that sort of thing, and I often hear, and I said it myself when I was a teacher, hundreds of times. Like I can't, I don't have time to grade. I don't have time to give feedback, right? And we we're putting, but I did search. Well, after there was internet, search the internet or Pinterest or you know whatever, and do these things and and try and find activities that changed all the time, right? Um, but when you know a lot of the research does show research does show that it is feedback that's going to move people, you know, move people forward, right? And so if we are spending our time on generating those activities, we are then maybe not spending as much time as we could, you know, doing feedback and and assessment and, and and you know, really helping students grow and learn in the language. Um, And I'm glad you brought that up because that is um, an important part of it as well. Um, There is something, the last thing I want to talk to you about, and we then we might go in other directions as well is but I do want to talk to you about um the tell project because to me this has been something that has been transformational for me as a teacher and as I work with teachers as a as an intentional document that helps you know there are so many decisions and there's so many aspects of being a teacher right and there's so there's you know, environment, there's planning, there's learning activities, there's assessment, there's just being a professional, There, uh, there's so much to it. And I don't know, um, you know, I don't know that most people realize like how much there is to being a, a teacher, right? And, um, and that document has been so important, I think, to many people and the discussions that it brings up with focusing on these important things right that is needed for student learning. And so I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about that document, like what it was, how you know what are some elements of it. And also like it's a lot, right? <laughs> that document is a, is a lot. It's like I could sp- I could spend my whole career which I love, you know. I mean, I always get that improvement. I'm never going to know everything I should know and want to, you know, about you know, teaching and learning. Um, and it gives me a place to kind of chip away and build my, you know, knowledge and skills and understandings. Um, but how do you help teachers navigate um, all of the things that it means to be a highly effective teacher and really influence, you know, student learning um, through the both the TEL project and and that, so.
1: Well, I think talking. it's important to remember... That the TEL framework is the model teacher. And mm-hmm. because we don't okay. want teachers, I think you have to do all of those things. No, we never have you
0: met that model that... teacher?
1: No, it I haven't met that. I haven't
0: met, I was going to say, I haven't met that model teacher yet that I know of, right?
1: <laughs> I call it Disneyland of teaching, right? Disneyland of teaching. Perfect. You know, the perfect parents, perfect administrators, perfect colleagues, money is no problem, you know, those kind of things. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't we kind of need to know what that looks like. It's kind of what we're yeah. always saying. There's so many people who like to watch HGTV, but yet our homes don't look like that, right? Or we watch right. the Food Network, but when we cook, it doesn't look like that. It's like that Pinterest pale. it's the Pinterest inspiration yes. and this is how we eat. So the same thing is like for teaching too. So tell is like your perfect Pinterest board, but then your teaching might look, what? <laughs> you a know, little know, it doesn't make you a bad teacher, but a little messier, uh, right. exactly. Um, and so with that in mind, we also whenever we work with teachers and using that framework is to have people really think about what what are the two things that i want to work on um because sometimes not sometimes often teachers like oh i want to do this and this and this and this and this and this this," right um and i'm also a tennis coach and the prom chair and and everything else right so that's nothing to do with my teaching so no we got to really help teachers to focus on just a few things and the one way Now, the framework has been around for 10 years, so we're trying to figure out how to make it more relevant. It's done a recent revision in 2019, um, but we've kind of taken a shift from goal setting and helping teachers more identify their strengths because we're we're in such a deficit culture in education. Everything is from, from a deficit, from test scores to the culture of the building to the students themselves to the parents to the politicians everything is negative and everything is deficit so yeah. and we're missing all the good things and so what i've been trying to get teachers to understand now is to like how can you identify the things that you're really good at because i'm finding that so many teachers don't know that they're really good or why they're really good at something and if you don't know that that means you can't replicate it and you also can't help somebody else doing it, which is a shame, right? Mm-hmm. And I've met some incredible teachers over my career who are amazing, but they have no clue why why they are this effective. And I, and I was one of those teachers, right? People were like, you're amazing. I can't believe all your kids are. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just teaching. I have no idea, <laughs> because it was, it was really just, <laughs> I, I didn't think about it intentionally. And I think that's the that's the thing about minimalism, right? It forces you to think mm-hmm. intentionally about your decisions. And through TEL, we're hoping teachers will do the same thing, that they identify their strengths, that they can actually name their strengths. So instead of focusing on the negative things, really figure out, okay, I'm really good at, and because I'm really good at this, I can now do something else as well. Or maybe I can use it to build and do something else. And it's not that I'm not good at the other thing. It's just like, these are my strengths. I mean... Every athlete, but right? I love that. There's no superhuman athlete. They all have some strength. Some football players are better than others at, for some something, but they play the same position. Mm-hmm. And so then they're trying to figure, okay, so if I'm a really fast, you know, if I can run really fast, how I can use that to my advantage? And if somebody who can't run as fast, but they maybe have a longer more of reach with their arms, maybe they use that to their advantage. And so we're hoping that food child- help teachers can find their strength as much as they can find their growth areas.
0: Oh, I just have to say how much I love that. Like, I think when, when you look at, um, like I've had teachers and we've looked at the documents and it, it just can become a weight of all the things you're not doing. Right. And and you yes. want to, Teachers, right. Right. And so it's always like this, this, you know, and it's, and it can motivate you, you know, to look at things, but it also can kind of shut you down sometimes. Right. And I love uh, strength finders is like one of my favorite things I've ever done, you know, like just doubling down on your strengths and, and using those in, and and I love, it's kind of like the whole point of minimalization, like pick, pick your strength and then use it in lots of different ways. Right. And, you know, I'm thinking of, uh, of a teacher that has, you know, the, the strength of, you know building relationships with their students. Well then she can look at that strength through the lens of providing comprehensible input maybe or yeah. or adapting curriculum to really reflect their needs and you can use that strength in in multiple ways and instead of me looking at someone else's strength you know maybe you have a particular strength and I wish that was mine you know that's not as effective as me focusing in on mine and using it to the best of my ability, I think. So I I love that. I love that that's coming. Is that coming out then? So that's something that you're you're developing and and kind of- Yeah, as we're revising
1: some of the forums, so a lot of the feedback forms we're mm-hmm. advising. We're looking at that. And, and a lot of the trainings we've been doing over the last couple of years, that's been a large part of the message. Um, we've also created an online platform built on the Tell framework called Catalyst yes. with um, the University of Oregon. Please tell more about and that.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's
1: basically just taking the framework and putting it online so that instead of you know digging through a lot of papers, you can go in there, you can identify your strengths, you can identify your goals, and then you can um, upload Evidence from your practice so it kind of becomes a professional portfolio for, uh, for, uh, for your teaching life. Um, you can share it with nobody, just make it a private thing, or you can share it with other people on the, on the platform. You can journal on there. Um, so it really becomes this one place where you kind of document your growth as, as a teacher, which, which is kind of nice. And it's not, it's not tied yeah. to any kind of evaluation system. It's mm-hmm. not based on what the district wants you to do. It's really just what you want to do and get better as a teacher. Um, and so, yeah, that's a nice mutual. And then the other thing that we are working on, um, is, um, again, because you said so much, I think there's over 250 criteria in the framework. Um, right. we are creating what we're calling learner pathways and that is the framework that's a bit from a teacher perspective, but even today we've been talking so much, right. That keeps up bringing up the learner, the learner, the learner, the learner, yeah. the learner, curriculum, the learner in our instructional decisions. So we have now flipped the framework and identify learner behaviors or learner experiences that we think students having in our classes and realizing that whatever we do causes our students to have these experiences. So it's not just one thing because often we only in PD, we talk about one thing, right? We talk about use of the target language. Well, Mm -hmm. that's not just one thing that requires planning, that requires environment, that requires learning tools that you have to use, that requires assessment. And that requires your actual practice that you're doing. It's not just one yeah. thing. You can't reduce it to one thing, but we often try to do that, right? Or only anything else, performance assessments, whatever it is. Yeah. That's yeah. a huge concept. And so if we want students, you know, and it's not about using the target language, actually. It has nothing to do with you using the target language. It's about what do we want students to experience because you use the target language? So we are now spelling that out and, that ident- and then have identified those key tell criteria that a teacher has to do in order for that experience to happen. So kind of flipping the idea, instead of yeah. going for all the things I have to do, let's go the other way around. What do I want my kids to experience in my class? Okay, if this is the thing, then here are all the things I have to do as a teacher. Because we assume that using the language, speaking the language, writing the language, reading the language, whatever it is, that's the outcome of our class. Well, not really, I mean, Yes, it's the long-term outcome of the class, but it's not the outcome of the class on Monday. It's not the outcome mm-hmm. of the class on Friday, right? So what are the outcomes then for a particular class? And what are some other things that our students are learning? Because they're also learning about learning in our classes, right? A lot, actually, probably more so mm-hmm. than most other classes. And so by defining that and then thinking about, okay, so here are the things I have to do, I think it will help teachers, again, help them make more intentional choices and not just yes. random. Well, this sounds good. I think this would be engaging, mm-hmm.
0: this right? Is- right, and and sometimes we it's more by luck than design, right? And so yes. you know some of the things that we that are effective. Are are you know yes, we're effective, but we don't like you said we don't necessarily know why, and it was not necessarily a, an intentional choice. To me, just hearing that how that is flipped does give more, it puts the purpose and and your priority of being the student, like on top, right? And I think all decisions, you know, when we're paring down or decluttering, or just even just making conscious choices and intentional choices, we just have to constantly go to that purpose, right? Like what is the purpose? What is the goal? What is the objective? What are the priorities? And then things fall in place underneath that, right? And then you you do the step, 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 step. Um, and I think that that just drives you to that because I think naturally as teachers, we're on the ground, you know, we are, we are in the fields. And so it's very hard to take a step back and look at that big picture sometimes because we're just in it, <laughs> in the, in the middle of it time. all. It's right. Yeah. That's, it's just, yeah. yeah. And that's exactly it. Like I, you know, my, my, when I was um, at the district office and I'd go in and I'd help coach teachers and. And I would always tell them, I'm just here to help document what you're doing. Because when you're doing something, you are not in a position to look at what you're doing and to think about what you're doing. You're just doing it. Like you were standing in front of young people, you know, these were elementary, you were standing there doing your thing. I'm just trying to help you see what you're doing. And then you ask the questions, you know. Um, But I think that you know, we're, we're just so in the moment and we're so, you know, trying to, to do all the things that I love that flip of like, this is the big picture. And now what are those component pieces that, that are going to lead the learner to that? And I think that's great. I'm excited. I'm excited to, to see that document that I feel is really important, um, in through new eyes and a new perspective. So that's yeah. very exciting. That's the goal. What, that's awesome. Do you have any professional development going on at Pearl this summer? Or what do you have oh, going on on course. the agenda? Yeah, tell, I know. Tell me what's going to happen for teachers.
1: Um, we will have we will have a full slate of some institutes, of course. Um, with I think this is a really nice group of teachers. Um, and um, then we're also hosting another virtual summit. I don't know if you remember, but when, mm-hmm. when the world first shut down, we had our first NFLC virtual summit um which brought big people gather from around the country and so we will have um a, a new one this one slightly tweaked uh, a little more intentional and really powered by what tell does and how tell guides us but i think we'll be a really good event they will be at the end of june but uh, yeah there's always something going on of course
0: right <laughs> absent and we'll put um we'll put your contact information in pearl and all of that um in the show notes so that we can make sure to send people your way uh you've got a lot of stuff good stuff going on there. So it has been great talking with you. Is there anything else in general that we didn't add or that we didn't talk about that you would like to add or any final, I don't know, words of advice or wisdom or just words uh, that you would like to No, say? I think,
1: I mean, the word we've talked about all day is the one intentional, right? And yeah. I think that's, that's all I, my goal is never to change people how to teach what to teach, when to teach. It's just more about being more intentional about the choices that we make as teachers. Um, and you know, you just said that teachers are stuck in it. And so it's hard to make those intentional choices when the fire alarm is going off, and you get an mm-hmm. email from your principal and there's kids yelling. And we've got to figure out how to build systems that allow teachers to make those intentional choices. So that's what I'm interested in in, in another life too. Um, you know, yeah. obviously the system doesn't always allow teachers to make intentional choices. So I don't ever want anybody to feel like, well, that sounds great Thomas, but I have you know, right. three, five along fives going on at the same time and I can't make those intentional choices. And mm-hmm. I understand that I, I I've seen it. I've been there. Um, doesn't mean we don't try, <laughs> right. um, and hopefully there's, you know, there's, there's lots of people who can provide tools to help you make those intentional choices, but I think, Just the one thing to, if I were to listen to this episode of thinking like, okay, how many activities am I really doing and which ones can Mm -hmm. I get rid of? I think if, Mm -hmm. if you just do that, I think you do your, your whole practice a favor uh, of figuring out what activities really have outlived their usefulness, um, Mm -hmm. at this point.
0: Perfect. It's like that, that old sweater I don't wear anymore, but it brings me comfort and you know, I kind of keep wearing it to death and maybe, maybe I need a new one and maybe, or maybe, you know, maybe that's just time for that to go. Right. (laughs) So, all right, last question. And I asked everybody this at the end of their podcast, just because I, I'm so lucky to be able to have people like you on this show where I just get to have a, a conversation about something that's on my mind with, with somebody else that, 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 um, you know, is also interested in discussing that. So my question is, if you could sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody, um, what would you, who would you want to sit down and have coffee with just to talk about what, and what would you like, what would you like to talk about with them? What's on your mind? What, um, what's somebody interesting that you would like to discuss?
1: Hmm. There's so many people. It's like that question. of I know, favorite, right? <laughs> favorite movie or favorite artist or favorite singer, and I was like, I know, I don't have one.
0: I know, um, like in this one moment.
1: <laughs> in this one moment, um, well, it's gonna sound, it's gonna sound um, cheesy, but it, it's true. Um, so, I was at a Natsville meeting years ago and um there was a lady there who was um, elderly very much elderly she Mm -hmm. was in a wheelchair um and this is so long ago that i can't imagine she's possibly still alive um Mm. and i don't remember her name but she was one of the people who helped uh um author the 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 original five c's and um so a colleague of mine would run up and ask her like you know there's a question that our teachers always ask um about culture and you know, should you teach culture in the target language or should it be taught in English and she uh-huh. looked at us and said well honey of course in the target language It would be happen any other way <laughs> and it was the only conversation I had with her and I really wanted to sit down with her because she, like I got so much energy from her it was really cool um, I love it was that. Really one of those moments like well of course like it wasn't even a question yeah. for her you know Right, so that 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 would definitely. You're like,
0: what other daughter. bits of wisdom, right? Did she have <laughs> exactly. that that you could, yes. that you could have just taken in? Like it was so yeah. to the point, and that was just she just answered that question just like that, right? I love that. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for for having um, for coming on today and talking with us. And it's been a pleasure, and I really um, have enjoyed uh, this time. And hopefully, I'll see you again in person sometime. In the Somewhere. near future. Somewhere, yeah, sometime. If not, I'll see you on Twitter and online. <laughs> thanks right. so much, Thomas. Thank you for joining us today in the Language Lounge. If you like what you've heard, please hit that subscribe button to note be notified of new episodes. And we'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a review. I'd like to hear what you thought about today's episode. You can reach me on Twitter at, at Lang Lounge Pod or send me an email at podcast at waysidepublishing.com. Thanks for listening.